the year. Uh, this morning we are going to begin with um, setting a path for the rest of the year, uh, kind of uh, talking about what what this time is going to look like. And for those of you that have been a part of my class before, there's a couple small tweaks in conversation with Nathan and um, in prayer, we both felt like God wanted to kind of want us to to turn this time in a little bit of a different direction. Um, this is still going to be Bible study time, uh, and we are still going to dive deep into God's Word during this time. Uh, but in an effort to enable you to build a uh, uh, to, to form the habit of Bible study in your own life, we are going to um, change a little bit the format uh, of, the, of the way things have gone. Uh, but before we really go there, that, that's going to be kind of the, the second half of today's discussion. The first half of today's discussion is about prayer. Okay? First half of our talk today is going to be about learning how to pray. So I have a question to begin with, and it is this. Who taught you to pray? Let me change that a little bit. Who taught you how to pray? Not everybody wants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did that work? I mean, they started off saying that prayer doesn't have to be, you know, a whole big long paragraph. It can just be a little five second thank you, Jesus, and whatever you want to talk to Jesus about, talk to him like he's right in front of you. Very good. Anybody else? Who taught you how to pray? I can't really remember who told me this, to be honest. But just like they told me, kind of along the lines of what he said, just like having a conversation with Jesus. Like it doesn't always have to include like, oh, Father Jesus, or like fancy words. Like sometimes it can just be like, hey Jesus, this is what's going on with me. Like just like asking for his wisdom. Like just talking to him like you were talking to another person. Mm-hmm. How well does that work for the two of you? Like, how long do you think you can pray uh -huh. in that way without stopping? Uh, like, uh, uh, there's no like a time limit. It's just like. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not asking like, have you ever timed yourself? I'm just saying, is it easy? Is it easy for you to pray in that way, conversationally, like that? For a long period of time. For me. Has it always been easy? Yeah, because then I like feel like I'm just talking to like my best friend or like I feel less pressure to like say something. Like it's like I can be myself. Like mm -hmm. I'm talking to my best friend. I'm talking to like my daddy. Like my yeah. Like I just be myself in that moment. I don't know if that makes sense. Of course it does. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Same question. Does it work that easy? 
Yeah. Is it easy for you now to, to pray for a long period of time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And has it always been easy? No. What made, what cha- made the difference? Like I said, they always told me that it didn't have to be some big highfalutin thing and that it talked to him like he's right in front of me. But until I actually understood the, the, the fact that he is literally, basically, he's everywhere and that he is just right here, you know. Yeah. I didn't actually get the concept of just being able to just be like, okay, God. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now it's super easy because I'm, I know he's everywhere. I know he's in all things and things like that. But back then, a child, I... Sure. Anybody else? Who taught you how to pray? Probably my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And growing up, you know, growing up a PK, you know, I saw it in the church. But the big thing they taught me and my sister was, you know, start out. We started out the basic, you know, for meal times before bed stuff. You know, just talking, no thanking him. Big thing, and then. As it went on, as we were learning more and more about the, you know, the meaning behind it and the importance behind it, it you know, became easier to build those deeper conversations with him and be able to last longer in time of prayer with him rather than just the short thank you. Is it ever difficult to pray? Yeah, sometimes. How many of you in here, it is more often difficult to pray than it is easy to pray for more than five minutes? That's fine. I'll raise my hand. This is the experience of most Christians that I meet. When you ask them how, how, tell, tell me about your prayer life, they will say, well, I want to talk to Jesus for hours and hours like a lot of people seem to be able to do, but like I start talking and after about five minutes I just run out of things to say. Or I start talking, and after just a few minutes, I get distracted by other stuff that I need to do, or etc. But for everyone, that kind of prayer is difficult sometimes, and for everybody, that kind of prayer is easy sometimes. And it, with practice, that kind of prayer absolutely becomes easier and easier because you begin to lose that that uh, awkwardness of just speaking into the air when no one is is visibly around and speaking to someone who you can't see their facial expressions and they they you know the lord does respond but it's nothing like the way you speak to anyone else right i mean sometimes i think i remember one time i i had been at the church uh and uh it was late on a saturday night and i had just told my wife i need to go pray for a while so i had driven to the church and I had been in the church for a while, and I had been praying and just kind of walking through the the sanctuary and just praying and saying, Lord, you know, just talking to him. And then I felt like I, it was time for me to go, so I, so I left and locked up the church, and I got in the car, and I started driving away, and then the Holy Spirit just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, one more thing. So I pulled over into this park uh, that's right next to the road there, and I was sitting there. It's probably 1130 and I was crying a little bit because the Holy Spirit was really present. And I'm writing things down on my phone. And uh, all of a sudden, this blinding white light filled my car. And I was like, whoa! And I look, 
I'm like, God, is that you? And I look, no, it was the police. It was Fremont police. Um, <clears throat> and uh, they came up and tapped on my window. Sir, uh, can I help you? Like, what's going on? And I was just like, I, this. you may not even believe this, but I'm actually praying right now. I was like, do you want to see my notes? <laughs> I was like, see, these are my notes. And he's like, I need your license and registration. I was like, oh, perfect. So I gave it to him, and then he was like, oh, so you're Isaac's dad, because his son is in the same class as my son at church, at uh, school. And uh, I was like, yes. He said, well, didn't want, didn't mean to disturb you, but we've, of course, we've caught people in this park doing other things than praying. Um, so, right. I was like, ah, right. I, I can imagine that that would probably happen. Um, so anyway, so I wonder often, um, I, I was actually went on prayer retreat a couple of, or last week. And I was sitting in this national park and I'm sitting on this bench and it's this in front of this lake and it's just stunning. And it was like uh, morning and the sun was just coming up and the lake had like this mist blowing across it. And I was just, wow, God, you're so awesome. And the leaves are starting to change, you know. And so I was I was praying and I was praying out loud, you know. And I'm just like, ah. Oh. And I was, uh, I was actually praying this liturgy that I'm going to hand out to you in a minute. And and uh, and and all of a sudden, I see these two people come walking up the path, and they're kind of looking at me like, "What? Like who is this?" And sometimes I think that people must think we're a little crazy to to pray like that. But the reality is, every human culture in history has has prayed, and even atheists pray, which is weird. Um, it's odd, but they do. They do. They pray, and then things happen, and like, you know, oh my God, or they're like, oh, thank God, you know, if something good happens, they're like, thank God. You're an atheist. What, what do you mean? <laughs> because there's this natural drive for prayer. But in in our tradition, in the Pentecostal tradition, okay, um, uh, we do not, we, we do not often, most of the time, we do not have a systematized way of teaching people how to pray. We don't do that. We, te we tell people they should pray. We tell people, we give people advice like, just talk to him like you're talking to a friend. But we don't teach them how to pray. And the thing is that that's extraordinarily new in the history of the church. Um, the church, from the time of Jesus all the way forward until maybe about 100 years ago, okay, was teaching people how to pray the same way Jesus taught people how to pray. When the disciples came to Jesus, you know this story, the disciples came to Jesus and they said to him, hey, master, teach us how to pray. Do you want me to help yeah, you? I, I got it. They said, master, teach us how to pray. And what was Jesus' response? Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> Come on now. What was Jesus' response? Exactly. When you pray, say, and he gave them a prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. You know, okay? And he gave them a prayer to pray. When you pray, say this. Do you have, Now, how many of you have heard it taught 
that Jesus was giving them a model prayer upon which you should base all your prayers. I've taught it. I've taught that. And I don't think that's untrue. I think that is real. And I think the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful model for prayer. Uh, but also, he wanted them to pray the prayer. He wanted them to pray the prayer he gave them. Pray this prayer. This is a good prayer. But you see, in our culture, about, oh, it was roughly, I don't know, almost 100 years now ago, people started saying, you know, all of this stuff, all this, I'm going to use a bad word now, liturgy. <laughs> okay. Some of you don't know why that's funny, but it is funny. But okay, anyway, so this liturgy, these, these uh, repetitive religious practices that exist in the church, they're just old, they're just worn out, they're just tired, they're dead. We're not going to do those anymore. Because we're, we're, you know, we're new people. We're different than the generations went before us, so we're going to make up our own stuff. But here's, a, here's the truth, okay? We still have a liturgy. We still have a liturgy. We just don't call it that, okay? The liturgy at First Assembly of God used to be, and I'm sure it probably still is. Somebody gets up and welcomes the congregation. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Make some comment about the weather. That's obligatory. Either, isn't it a beautiful day outside, or aren't you glad you're inside because it's not so beautiful outside? Okay, that's an, that that belongs in those early comments. Okay, so there, there's this there's this welcome to everybody that's coming in, and then there is a, we're delighted that you're with us today. That exact phrase gets used almost every week, does it not? Yes. We're delighted you're with us today. Your Absolutely. Okay, so. <laughs> I'm going to get there. You're, you're jumping ahead of me. <laughs> that's at the end of the liturgy. That's not at the beginning. So, and then we move into uh, normally three to four worship songs, beginning with fast ones and moving to more slow ones. Correct? Yep. Yes. Then we go into a time of prayer, where usually the prayer for the sick takes place. They encourage people to get prayer by the by the elders with the anointing of oil, that sometimes happens. Honestly, that was a part of the liturgy that kind of started to go away a little bit when uh, we moved to this building, because it's harder to do in this building than it was in the building we were in before. But they used to have elders assigned to each row, and they would say, if you're sick at all, step into the aisle, and the elder will anoint you with oil. That was the thing that happened every Sunday. That was a part of the liturgy, liturgy then. It's a part of the liturgy now. And uh, <clears throat> um, let's see, what else? Uh and then after that time of prayer, we will receive the offering. There'll be a little mini sermon prior to the offering, of course, because that's important. And then there will be announcements somewhere in there. They've moved them around a few times. Used to be that we would go right out of worship into announcements, like the announcement video, right? Do you guys still do that? Uh, does it happen after worship or after the offering? During the offering. Well, okay. Yeah, because part of our liturgy used to be that we would have somebody sing a special song during the offering, which we don't really do that anymore. Um, a lot of churches are getting away from that uh, because we're all tired of hearing the same three songs from, you know, that one person. 
Uh, and there were people that whenever, you know, because it was this rotation, right? And whenever they would get up to sing a song, we'd all be like, oh. <laughs> right? It's going to be one of these three songs, and it's going to be terrible. Yeah. And then the pastor will get up and do his thing, and he normally starts with a little lighter. Maybe a funny story, maybe a video, maybe a sketch, maybe something, you know, a little lighter. And then he will move into the teaching portion of his sermon, and then he will do some kind of call to response. Which back in the old days was always, come to the altar, we're going to pray, you know, whatever. Um, now that's not as often. Now sometimes it's, you know, in your seats, or sometimes no call to response at all. We finish the sermon, and then it's, uh, you know, high five, see you next week, okay? By the way... All of these are valid. I'm not I'm not making fun much. I'm making fun a little because it's my culture, so I get to make fun of it a little. Um, but these are all valid and fine. There's nothing wrong with this liturgy, but the fact that we like to think we don't have a liturgy. The word liturgy, actually, the, the definition, or the, the word liturgy comes from a couple of Latin words, means the work of the people. And the idea is it's repetitive religious practice. When we go to church, this is what we do. That's liturgy. And when the same things happen at roughly the same time in the service, it's a form of liturgy, and that's what always happened. Now, if you go to a Lutheran church, or if you go to a more mainline church, they literally give you a bulletin with almost every word that's going to be spoken through the entire service written in that bulletin. I'm not kidding. You read through it, and, you're, and you can follow through. And I, the first time I ever went to a Lutheran church, I was... I'm, I'm amazed that everybody in this room knows what to say and when to say it. Right? He gets up and he's like, the Lord be with you. Everyone's like, so also with you. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and then they continue on. And, 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 and the, the person will, say, will, will be praying something and then the rest of the people will pray like a long sentence that I'm like, where did that come from? What? 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 And then I look to my right and I realize... My friend who took me, I was, I was there to be godfather for his daughter that day. That's why I was there. And, and he's reading out of this piece of paper everything that he's supposed to respond. I was like, well, you didn't tell me I needed the notes. You know? So I, I find it. I'm like, oh, well, this makes sense. And everything that's going to happen in the service is on that piece of paper, which is very, very different from our, you know. I mean, at my church especially if I'm leading worship, we're probably not even going to do the songs we practiced. I mean, that's probably, yeah. you know, we're going to do like two songs and then I'm going to be like, we're going over here. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's how it works in my church. So part of our liturgy is unpredictability. Yeah. <laughs> you got to love it. Okay. So. But. When we got rid, and there were reasons why they got rid of liturgy, because it is easy for a person who has been in the same liturgy their entire life to miss the point entirely, to just be <clears throat> robotic and go about that liturgy without any connection to it whatsoever. That is easy to do. And in order to make that less possible, in order to kind of keep it fresh, keep people engaged, people keep people connected, the the... Uh, evangelical church has almost completely done away with service liturgies like that. They've almost completely done away with the folder you're going to read all the way through. They've almost completely done away with that kind of minute planning of every detail. 
because they wanted to move in a more spontaneous direction and hopefully encourage people to be more authentic in their expressions of their, uh, uh, you know, of worship and of prayer, right? I mean, that, that's why they encourage you to pray, talk to God as if to a friend, because that's going to connect you with him in a whole different way than if, you know, here's these prayers, I just want you just to pray these, right? Okay, the problem is that now we've ended up with a generation who most of them have no idea really how to pray. Okay? Most of your generation and my generation, when we go to the place of prayer, we're like, hey God, so... <laughs> right? Let the awkward silence begin. Um, you know, and it's just like... And, and if we're in a time where things are really tough, then we're just pouring out prayers. But it usually sounds like this. Father, heal this cancer. Father, heal this cancer. Father, heal this cancer. We also get into this wonderful thing where we where we repeat like, Father, Lord, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so... And I pray for this, Father, Lord, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. And I pray for that, Father, Lord, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. And I ask for this, Father, Lord, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. So anyway... I really know people that that actually is there. Really it is a long one, right? For some people, it's Father God. For some people, it's Lord Jesus. For some people, it's whatever. You know that, but but it's 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 like it's the words you use when you really mean I don't know what to say right now. Because if you ever actually talk to a friend that way, can you imagine? <laughs> So I say this, Vicky. I say that, Vicky. We would be like, excuse, whoa, you know? Slow down. Right, exactly. It doesn't make any sense, right? Imagine speaking to your parents that way. Father, the best dad in the whole wide world. How you doing today? What do you want? And my dad, my dad used to like wrestle us to the ground and hold us down until we until we said, "Master, Dad." But that's something else. <laughs> Yes, that was a thing. That was a thing at my house. Um, <laughs> He'd probably be like, yeah, but then you need to look at him and be like, I just have one thing to say to you. Live for Jesus! Dad used to do that to us all the time. We would just be doing, like, sometimes even like he'd be really mad or like kind of lecturing us and he'd be like, I just have one thing to say to you. Live for Jesus! That's all that we'd be like, oh, Dad, come on. Like whenever he would say, I just have one thing to say, we would always be like, oh, please don't. Right? Is there ever something actually, well, not to say it's not important, but, you know, important? Huh? No, that was just something he did. It was just a joke. It was like okay. a family joke. And so we several did. times we've done that to him, like, right. you know, now. And so I've done that to my kids quite a bit. In fact, I told my kids to go up to my dad and say, Hey, Grandpa, we have one thing to say to you. <laughs> what? Live for Jesus! The lady who wrote that song actually goes to this church. Have you met Nancy Honeytree? She wrote that song. She's an amazing woman. Okay. So... Awesome, awesome minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great songwriter. She's traveled all over the world. She was huge in the Jesus People movement, writing songs that thousands upon thousands of people worshipped too back in the 60s and 70s. So totally awesome, like minor Christian celebrity, Tenzis Church. Anyway, uh, 
really amazing woman. If you get a chance to meet her, she's great. Um, um, well, her last name is Miller, but she goes by Honeytree. Yeah. But everybody calls her Nancy Honeytree because that was kind of her stage name. I've had a lot of people just called her Honeytree. What's that? I'm not sure. I don't know. That may have been her actual last name before she got married. I don't know. I, um, or she might be referring to something, to something in the Bible maybe about, you know, I mean, there's the honey tree from that Jonathan, the son of Saul, ate out of and refreshed himself. Maybe that has something to do with that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> should ask her. I don't know. It'd be an interesting story. If you find out, let me know, because I would like to know. Okay? All right, so that was question number one, who taught you to pray? We, we've gotten away from teaching people how to pray the way that churches used to teach people how to pray. Because the way that churches used to teach people how to pray, for literally 1,800 years the way that churches taught people how to pray, was it gave them prayers to pray. In fact, there were whole books of prayers for situations. Have you ever run into a situation where you have no clue how to pray? They had a book for that. Where they would go to, what do I pray when a loved one is sick? Aha, here's a good prayer, and they would pray it. Now, what I want to say to you is this kind of liturgy, although it feels very different to us because we're totally not used to it, whether it has life or not has only to do with the one who is performing the liturgy. It has to do with you. It has to do with what you bring to those prayers. You can read someone else's prayer and fill it with your with your heart. <coughs> okay? Here's my next question. What is prayer for? Okay. Communication with God. That's good. Why are you communicating with him exactly? So, uh, you receive things from him. Okay. Anybody else? What's prayer for? That is a correct answer, by the way. But there's more. Relationship. That's a very good answer. Yes. Uh, spiritual texting. Spiritual texting. Those phone tag games, that's usually how it is with God. They'll get back to you later, but then you won't be there to listen. That often happens. <laughs> that's correct. That. It'd be nice if God would text me. I would appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, demonstration of faith. Because you can't see him. You can't visually you know, see him and know that he's there. But you have faith that he is there, so you're praying to something that you can't see. Yes. So prayer, so prayer is a demonstration of faith to God and Jesus. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. What? Okay. I didn't know if you were raising your hand. Yeah, I was going to. The look you gave me was like, really? Yeah. No, I was saying go, go, go. <laughs> um, uh, no, to uh, like, uh, kind of add what she said, you know, like it's relational, like it's communion with God, mm -hmm. you know, it's an act of worship with him, you know, and just like. I don't know. I love it. But, yes, yeah. most definitely. Mm -hmm. No, that is the 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 uh, correct. I don't. The 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 best answer in in 
an assembly guide context that you probably would have ever like operated in up until now is that prayer is about communication with God. It's about friendship with God. It's about me getting to know him and learning to trust him. And that's very real and that's very true and I agree with that 100%. But let's be a little more honest. Prayer is also about getting God to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong? We can be transparent in here. It's okay. I know you're early in this, right? But prayer is about, and yeah, Jesus taught us to ask God for things. Did he not? He absolutely did. He told us we should ask God for things, and we should ask God for things. That's that's totally fine. But see, the issue, and, and does God answer those prayers? Absolutely. The Bible's clear. God calls us to pray as a part of our cooperation, our partnership with him and his working in and through our lives. Um but that's not all that prayer is for. There is one other purpose of prayer. And this may be, maybe it's, it is a purpose of prayer, but maybe it's just a reality of prayer as well. And that is that prayer forms us. It shapes us. That prayer is a place and an activity that we participate in that shapes us in some way. It, it makes us different than who we are. There's multiple, I'm in the middle of a sermon series at my church called Muscle Memory, okay, which is about this idea that there are practices that we should engage with which shape us to be more like Jesus over time. Most of them don't shape us to be more like Jesus immediately. It takes repetition. It takes time. It takes, uh, this must become a habit before it can have the effects that you wanted to have okay and i'm likening it to rehearsal and practice in the area of sports or music or anything else that you're wanting to learn how to do if you want to learn how to do something well you have to practice and i had a friend uh, he was actually a, a boss who said who used to say to us all the time uh you've heard that practice makes perfect that's not true he said, practice makes permanent. And if you learn it wrong, you'll do it wrong. Practice makes permanent. And if you learn it wrong, you'll do it wrong. Which is why he would correct us in practice. Now, he was a football coach. So he was used to watching his guys run their plays in practice you know, do the kind of drills and things that they have to do in practice for football. And he would come alongside and say, don't hold the ball like this, hold the ball like that. He would come along and say, no, when you're running out this way, don't do this. When you're going to tackle somebody, don't tackle them here, tackle them there. And he was doing that in practice. Why? Because practice makes permanent. And what you do in practice is what you're going to do on the field. And the idea of spiritual disciplines muscle memory practices is we are learning how to we are stepping into partnership with god in our formation we are stepping into partnership with god to make us more like jesus so that when the rubber meets the road we are going to drive right we do this when it's easy so that when it's hard we've got this you know this infrastructure built which is going to lead us the right direction. 
And that's one of the things, prayer is one of those things that must be in our lives. The other one that we're going to talk about soon, here at the end of uh, our day today, is Bible study. Okay, and there's more than that. Giving is a formational practice. Fasting is a formational practice. Um, what are the, the other ones? that? Oh, uh, communion is a formational practice. The actual taking of the of communion, which we can talk about that sometime if you want. Uh, because my guess is most of you probably never heard a sermon on communion. Am I, am I right about that? How many of you have never heard a sermon on communion? Like an actual sermon, not just the little like preamble before you take communion. But how many of you have ever heard? Okay, if you've never heard a sermon on communion to your memory, just raise your hand. Really? You guys had way better pastor than I did. That's horrible to say. But no, no, it was just, I had never heard a sermon on communion, ever, until I preached one. It's just real. Why did Jesus put this practice in the center of, of Christian worship? What's up with the juice and the crackers? Correct. There's so much to it. It's massive. We don't have time to talk about it all. But it's a formational practice. It's a formational practice. It's something we do over and over again to form us in a specific way. And prayer is one of those ways. And here's the problem. See, prayer was is never about changing God. <laughs> prayer is about changing you. First of all, God doesn't change. So when we talk about, I'm asking God for a thing, but my prayer doesn't change God, what's changing when I ask? What's changing? If God's not changing when I ask for something, what's changing? I'm changing. My posture towards God about this particular thing is changing in prayer. Does that make sense? I'm the one that's being changed by prayer. That's what prayer does. It changes me. That's the point of prayer. Prayer forms us. Prayer changes us. God was always ready to give you your daily bread. But until you're ready to ask for it, you're not ready to receive it. Does that make sense? God was always ready to tell you to go to Africa. But until you said, oh God, I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying you're supposed to go to Africa. Please hear me. But until you say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And then you hear the thundering reply, go thou to Africa. Maybe God is telling you to go to Africa. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, but when God says go to Africa, in response to your prayer saying, God, what am I supposed to do with my life? God, did God ever not know that you were supposed to go to Africa? God always knew. So why didn't he tell you before now? You weren't in a place to hear it. So... <laughs> you saying something over there? What are you saying? Josh. <laughs> Holy Spirit, just do what you're going to do. Um, 
prayer changes us. Prayer shifts us. And it aligns us with God's purpose. God already knows what you're going to pray for. He knows better than you do what you need. Matthew 6, 7 says that. God is always present and at work. And God cares about all this more than you do. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Somebody get over and give her a hug. She needs some... Yes, Lord. This happens. This just happens. This is a thing. It happens. Yes. This Lord I gotta go. So, I usually get pins caught in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I try to observe. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, sorry, you can you, no, you're good. You're fine. <laughs> Just keep going. Just do whatever the Lord wants. Lord Jesus, we say yes, Lord. <laughs> so, prayer is never about convincing God, prayer is about moving into alignment with His will and His power. It's about learning to fully surrender to Him and to fully rely upon Him. Okay, prayer moves us under the waterfall. That's what it does. The waterfall doesn't change. The waterfall stays the same. God is always pouring out, always giving, always moving. And his opinion towards you does not change when you pray. You need to understand that God's not mad at you for not doing your devotions that day. The only thing on God's heart is, boy, I had some really good stuff that you now for you that now you aren't in a position to receive. Does that make sense? Prayer shuts down unhealthy thought patterns and opens up healthy thought patterns. Prayer quiets anxiety and fosters hope. Prayer reminds us of the truth and reveals the lies of the enemy. Prayer opens us to hear the voice of God. Prayer reminds us and enables us to forgive and to show grace. Okay. Now, if we believe that prayer forms us, and I think we all agree, do we not? That prayer changes us. Then we need to be careful about only praying our own prayers. Should we pray our own prayers? Absolutely we should. All the time, every day. The Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. But... Because we believe that prayer shapes and forms us, we should also be praying prayers that are wiser than our own. Okay? We should be praying other people's prayers. Prayers that come from other points of view, other parts of the world, other times in history. Because they have perspectives we don't have. Perspectives on God and perspectives on themselves. We should be praying scripture. We should be praying other people's prayers because when a greedy person prays, they're going to pray greedy prayers. When an angry person prays, 
they're going to pray angry prayers. And when we pray the prayer that harmonizes with what's going on the inside of us, we're only reinforcing both our strengths and our weaknesses in that prayer. Does that make sense? Are you all with me on this thought? Okay. Several years ago, it's about two years now, year and a half, I was first introduced to this thought process. And I had, you know, I thought about it before, but it never clicked with me that, therefore, I should probably be praying some prayers other than just my own. And again, most of your prayers are going to be your prayers. Most of them. But there should be some time in my prayer life where I give myself to praying prayers that are wiser than my own. And I went, and I learned this by going to an event called Prayer School, where a pastor who was there was teaching people to pray a liturgy and why they should pray a liturgy. And pretty much everything I've said to you this morning is stolen directly from him. Not everything, but a lot of it. Okay? And then he gave us the liturgy that he personally uses and invited us to start praying this liturgy with him every day. And he said, I want you to take 10 weeks. I want you to pray this prayer every single day. And I don't want you to evaluate it until after the 10 weeks are over. And then tell me if this has been good for you or not. Is this making you more like Jesus or isn't it? And he filled his liturgy with scripture, with prayers from multiple wings of the church, and with prayers, there's only one prayer in the liturgy that's less than 500 years old. Okay, so these are prayers that have stood the test of time. Prayers that people have been praying, they're well-worn by generation after generation of Christians who have been praying them and finding them helpful prayers. Are you with me, everybody? So, I have in my hand right now my liturgy. It's a little different from his. I've changed a couple things. I've added a couple things. I've removed a couple things. Okay? This is the liturgy I've given to my church, and I've told them. There's two times I, I want you to be praying this liturgy, especially when you don't feel like praying. That's when you need this the most. When you can't pray, at least say your prayers. Does that make sense? That's one of the that's one of the problems of only praying our own prayers. Is when we come to the place of prayer and we're deeply disappointed or we're depressed or we're sad or we're distracted, it's very difficult in those moments to pray at all. Isn't it? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. It's really difficult to pray. And what these, what this liturgy does is it grabs a hold of your brain and puts it into prayer mode. If nothing else, this can be a resource for you to go back to in those moments when it's incredibly difficult to pray. So what I'm going to hand out to you, I'm going to send them the, the opposite ways. Okay. This is the prayer liturgy. It's full of prayers. Um, you just go down from the, from the, now there's a box on the front that says, 
to pray for the 45 minutes, pray the whole thing. For to pray for I don't remember what it's uh, for 15 minutes, pray the ones that have that are in the colored sections. To pray for five minutes, pray the red and the blue, and to pray for 30 seconds, just pray the blue. Okay, I color corresponded these so that if you didn't have 45 minutes, you can still find a liturgical prayer to pray. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. This liturgy is awesome. I can say that because I didn't write one single prayer in it. Okay? Now, in the middle of the liturgy, it says Bible reading for the day, which is what I just handed around the other way. This is, and I'll be giving you one of these every month. Okay? This is daily readings for the month of October. And they're from the Anglican Book of Prayer, which is the Church of England's Book of Prayer, which lays out for each person who, who, you know, attends an Anglican church, here are the things. You know, it's a Bible reading plan, basically. You've seen those before. Use this or don't use this, it's up to you, but I, I thought I would bring it and hand it out because it's been useful to me. That's the Bible reading plan that I follow. And it's one heck of a Bible reading plan, okay? Um... It's really good. Lots of psalms you'll find. Lots of psalms. And some Old Testament and some New Testament. There's always something from one of the Gospels. Always. Um, so that's how that goes. Now, what time is it right now? Okay. I'm going to give you, I'm going to do 10 minutes, and I'm just going to walk you through this liturgy very quickly. Okay, so yes, sir. No. Start today. When I talked to Nathan, one of the things that he said was he was finding it difficult to teach his students to pray every day, and part of it was that they didn't know what to pray. Here in one thing is what you should pray and what Bible verses you should read every day. Obviously, I'm not going to be checking up with you on this. I'm not going to be like, you know, all right, here's my cat of nine tails who didn't pray their liturgy today. Okay, that's not going to happen. I'm just handing this out to you as a tool to use. Okay? And I do want to encourage you to take a few weeks. I'm not going to do 10. That was a long time for me not to for me not to think about, you know, what this was doing in my heart. And I was already before the 10 weeks were over, I was already seeing that this was shaping me in beautiful ways that I was I was seeing the world in a different way than I had ever seen it before that my prayers and I began to become addicted to this liturgy and not just to this liturgy but then there would be other times when I would go to pray for something else and I would be like oh, I don't have a written prayer for that and I would go look up prayers from either the Anglican book of prayer from Catholic books of prayer from other books of prayer or look for a psalm that I could pray to match the situation that I was in. Because I didn't, I didn't have the words. You've been in that place, right, where you're like, how the heck do I pray for this? And when you've got language that's been put in your heart and in your mind over and over again, it just comes in those moments when you need it the most. <laughs> this is also... I, I've mostly memorized this entire thing, and a lot of it is scripture, so I've been memorizing a lot of scripture, which is very good for you. I know you have to do that, right? So, I'm going to walk you through it very quickly, 
Okay. First of all, we have the address which I prayed for. I prayed at the beginning of our time today. Father God, Creator of heaven and earth, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a walk through time and through the revelation of God to mankind. Creator of heaven and earth. That was the first thing. Okay. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Now that gets us all the way up to Exodus, right? God of Israel. That takes us all the way from Exodus all the way up to Jesus. God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right? True and living God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That brings us all the way up to 350 years after Jesus. So we just walked through all of redemptive history, okay, in, in this very early beginning of our prayer. I love this moment because it, it sets me in the mind. I know the things you did for Abraham. I know the things you did for Isaac. I know the one you were in Jesus. I know who I'm speaking to, okay? And then we go into a time of of worship. Oh Lord, open our lips, our mouths shall proclaim your praise, glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I will say this to you, and do not let this freak you out. But I cross myself when I say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this prayer. Not because I'm secretly Catholic, although I've been accused. As I've been starting to teach our people to do this liturgy, etc., they're like, are you just like secretly Catholic? Like People have asked me that. I have one lady that keeps saying, you're such an Anglican. I'm like, well, I'll take that as, as a compliment. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I do this because I am an embodied creature. I'm a physical being. And physical activity, you know, God exists in the molecules of my body. Okay? And physical activity, it does something to the brain. When you connect a physical activity to a spiritual activity, it does something to the mind. This is one of the most important things about communion is that it's a physical activity. It involves eating. It involves all the senses, taste, touch, smell. It involves the whole body into this act of worship. Why do you worship like this? Because you're an embodied creature. I usually kneel when I pray the, the liturgy because I'm putting myself in a different position than I would normally take and I'm adopting a, a prayer posture. Do you have to do any of this? No, you don't have to. But I find it helpful for me. So I'm telling you about it. And when I pray this part, glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I usually cross myself. Because I'm thinking, I'm just, I'm just adding to the physic, the physicality of this prayer time. Are you with me in this? You again, you don't have to do this. I'm not. I'm just saying it helps me. Okay. A lot of times when I worship, if I'm not doing this, I'm doing this because I'm putting my hand over my, over my heart, saying, "I want this to come straight from my heart to you, God." There's a physical embodiment of what's going on. As a person who talks with their hands quite a bit, it's helpful for me to get what's on the inside to come out. Are you with me? Okay. For those of you that don't know, okay, it's forehead, middle of the body, down, left shoulder, right shoulder, unless you're left-handed, and then it's the other way. Are you with me? Okay. That's how you do that. Okay. The way that uh, 
the way that uh, I was taught to remember it. Spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch. But anyway. <laughs> Grand Torino. Okay. That was a good reference. Grand Torino. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? No, it wasn't Grand Torino. Actually, it was um, it was Austin Powers. <laughs> uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. That's 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 what it is. Anyway, okay. Then we go into the Jesus Prayer, which is one of my favorites. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Here you say a sinner. Nowhere else do you say a sinner. Because we're going into the confession of sin. Okay, we're going into this place where we're going to confess our sin before God and ask for forgiveness. Did, are you forgiven for sin before you ask for it? Yes. Yes, you are. You are already forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future in the cross of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. That's just the way it is. But is it good for us to confess our sin? Yes, it is very good for us to confess our sin. There is grace released to us when we recognize the fact that we are now out of alignment with God in some way, shape, or form. Okay? So, yes, ma'am. So, like, even... Cause I struggle with that. Like, um, I'm still learning. So, like, I feel... Because I know that, like, the Bible talks about, like, you know, like, grace is covered that. God's already taken that from me and yes. stuff. But, like, I still struggle. And sometimes I mess up. And, like, I've, I even, like, feel like I have to, like... Um, Pray the sinner's prayer each and every. I mean, it's good because, like, as a congregation, it helps other people feel yeah, like they're sure. you know welcome. But like, I feel like each time I have to like earn that back. I guess in a way. Like, oh yeah, but there's no earning here. And if you're trying to earn, you won't receive. Grace is a gift. You cannot earn it. So the minute you try and earn it, you lose it. So why do I feel that shame that if I do? Because the enemy has got you convinced. But there's nothing wrong with asking Jesus for forgiveness. And there's nothing wrong with stepping back under that flow of forgiveness and grace and saying, Lord, I just, I'm feeling this shame and I know it doesn't come from you. This comes from my flesh. This comes from my, my pattern of living. And maybe it comes from the enemy, but Lord, help me anyway. There's nothing wrong with praying that prayer. There's nothing wrong with saying, Father, forgive me. I probably say it 25 times a day. I mean, really. Because how many times have you caught yourself in the middle of something that doesn't look like Jesus at all? Right? And all of a sudden you're like, ah, crap. Father, forgive me. And forgive me for saying crap, too. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad word. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just teasing. But there's something I want you to notice about this prayer, and most of the prayers in this, is it is in the plural. We confess that we have sinned. Because in this prayer, you're not just confessing confessing your own sin you're also confessing the sin that you are surrounded by that you're involved in without your knowledge the shoes on your feet the clothes on your body were put together in near slave labor conditions you are involved with sin that you had no, nothing to do with okay it's reality all around us all the time we are caught in a web of Sin, it is a sinful structure that we live in. And confessing not just our own sin, but the sin we're somehow connected to, even without our knowledge, Father, we confess 
that we have sinned. Even when you're by yourself, we confess we have sinned. The Bible shows over and over again, holy righteous people who are a part of a group that is sinful, repenting for the sins of the group to which they belong, even though they were not a part of it. And guys, the United States of America has a lot of things to repent for. It's just the truth. White people have a lot of things to repent for. Okay? Men have a lot of things to repent for. Women have a lot of things to repent for. You belong to groups that are, that are a, a part of a systemic sin. And, he, and, and somebody in the midst of that needs to be saying, God, give us mercy and give us grace. Because you need it. Do you agree? Amen. That's why it says we. Then the Bible reading. Then we confess the Apostles' Creed. Let's do that together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Why does it say Catholic? Somebody tell me. Yeah. <laughs> it says Catholic because the word Catholic means universal. Okay. It is small c Catholic, not large c Catholic. It's true. Okay. And the word Catholic means universal. That means the whole church. We are not confessing to belong to the Roman Catholic Church here. And if you feel like you want to change it to Christian Church, that's fine. But this is the Apostles' Creed, and I don't feel like I get to edit it. It's existed for almost 2,000 years, and I have a problem with anybody that thinks, well, yeah, I'll just change that word. No, I'm not okay with that. All right? That's why I left it the way it is. Okay? Are you with me? Does that make sense? Do not feel bad if you change it to Christian. That's fine. It really is fine, but I'm not going to. Sure. Or the Holy Church, whatever you want to do. I, I, I mean, but again... Some people, especially people that came out of the Catholic Church, are like, I am not going to say that. Because I have some real trauma connected with that, right? But, you know. And then the Jesus Prayer again. Now we begin with some scripture. Psalm 91. Psalm 23. I love Psalm 23. I pray Psalm 23 often, often, often. It's the most comforting. It's the most comforting psalm in the Bible, it is so good for me. It just is. It is. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Lord, I need you to restore my soul. <laughs> it's just good. It's just good stuff. Okay, and then prayer for family. Pray for your family. That should not be that hard to figure out. <laughs> Pray in the Spirit. This is one I added. The guy that taught us did not have this in here. 
But I added it because I think every person, first of all, the gift of a prayer language is available to everyone who names the name of Jesus. I believe that with all of my heart. So if you do not have a prayer language, I would love to pray through with you and and walk with you into receiving that because it's for you and it's good. So good. <laughs> and I think you should spend at least five to ten minutes a day praying in tongues. I really do. I really, really do. It's just good for you. Okay, then Psalm 103. Then the Jesus prayer again. Then the Lord's prayer. <clears throat> then we're going to go to Colossians 1, 15 through 22, which is just reminding us who this Jesus is we're praying to. Okay. Then petition and intercession. So this is where you begin to make your requests before God, whatever requests you have. Then contemplation and sitting with Jesus. We don't have time to go through this today. Yes. Yes, ma'am. So, like, with intercessory prayer, is that, like, time where you specifically have something to say, or can you use a liturgy at times? If you want to use liturgy, of course, you can use it at any time. Um, I put this place in here. Petition and intercession. Petition is usually prayer for yourself. Intercession is usually praying for other people. So, I use this time to pray specifically for people. And, of course, you can use liturgy whenever you like. Prayer is prayer. Um, so... And I often actually, when in my prayer for family, there's a little prayer that I've written for each of my kids that I pray for them specifically during that time. So it's a liturgical prayer uh, that I pray for my kids during that prayer for family time. But, yeah, Contemplation and sitting with Jesus is your time to listen. Did that answer your question? I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Contemplation is time for listening, not talking. Listening. You've talked enough. Now shut up. Okay. And one of the things that I do during this time is I do a listening prayer exercise during this time, which we did some of that last year, which is awesome. How many of you remember that? Our, our listening prayer times. Okay. And uh, we will do that again in this class in the future. Okay, but the idea is, because it's hard for us to be silent, we are busy people, and it's hard for us to be silent. We engage our imagination to build a place in which we invite Jesus to speak to us. Okay, so I engage my imagination into building a room or whatever, wherever you want to meet with God. Maybe it's in a field. Maybe it's on the beach. Maybe it's in outer space. Who knows? But you engage your imagination in building that context, <coughs> being as detailed as you need to be. But in doing that, you're taking your brain and you're, you're giving it something to do. Okay? And then you say, Jesus, I, am, I ask you to come and to be into this context and speak to me. And it is surprising how quickly and how loudly people will hear from God in that kind of a situation. Jesus will step in. Okay, I'll tell you what happened today when I did this today. Are you ready? It was very short, very small. Sometimes it's like 
Jesus is already there talking to me before I've ever built a place because this is a habit that he and I have built. Okay. Today, as I did this and I sat and said, you know, and I was and I was asking Jesus to come and to speak to me, I saw Jesus come and attach two antennae to my body with little what yellow flags on the ends. And so I still don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, oh, I don't know what that means. And he hasn't told me yet. A lot of times Jesus will show me stuff that he will not explain to me for days. There'll be days where that's just this persistent image that's just living in my heart. And I've come to recognize what's Jesus and what's bad pizza, okay? And and I'm like, Jesus, what is that? Help me understand it. And he'll help me understand it. I mean, I've got a couple ideas, but I don't know what that means for sure. You know, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, kind of. But they were long. They were like antennae and they were attached to my shoulders and and there's little yellow flags coming off the tops of them. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. But I'm, I'm just waiting for the Lord to give me the interpretation of that. Um, one of the most profound times when I did this, there's one listening exercise where you build your the room where you're going to meet with God. And in the room you put a full-length mirror. You ask Jesus, I'm going to cry just thinking about this. You ask Jesus to come and to stand behind you and to breathe on the mirror so it's covered with fog, okay? And then you say, Jesus, will you reach up and will you write on the mirror the one thing that's keeping me from seeing you clearly? Okay? Right? So <laughs> that's what I, that I did this, okay? And I'm standing there, and in this thing, he breathes on the mirror, it's full of fog, so where I could see him behind me before, now I can't. He was standing, I'm standing in front of the mirror, Jesus is standing behind me, so I can see his face in the mirror. He breathes in the mirror, okay? And then he reaches up and he writes the word truth. And I went, what? Ridiculous. Wait a minute, how is truth keeping me from seeing you clearly? Explain that one to me, Jesus. That was on Thursday. Okay? I didn't hear the answer until Sunday morning. It must have been so frustrating. I was. It was. Because every time I went to prayer, I was like, truth, 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 truth. Explanation. What on earth can that mean? But it was. it just was there. It did not go away. It was there. And it's one of the ways that I know it's the Lord speaking to me is if it just won't go away, like if it just haunts me. And so I was sitting in that truth, 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 and then finally the Lord said to me, and in my mind's eye I saw him wiping the fog away from the mirror. And he said to me, you're so busy searching for truth, you've forgotten to search for me. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I was like... What? And the Lord said to me, truth has a name and it's Jesus Christ. And I was just like, <laughs> because I was in this, I was in this, this moment where I was, I was studying some things in the scripture and I was trying to, I was trying to figure out 
where I stood on a couple of theological issues that I had been that had been brought into question in my mind, and I was that's what I was doing. And the Lord was like, in the midst of all of your search for truth, you have forgotten to search for me. So it, it wasn't that I I shouldn't be searching for this, but He was going, I'm the answer. Jesus was saying, I'm what you I am what you should pursue. I am the answer to the question. Which made the theological thing just go, just like locked into place. Now I know what, what the reality is. But the reason it had been so difficult for me is because I had taken my eyes off of Jesus. Okay, that was, yeah. So that's what that listening, those listening exercises have done. And that's happened to me many times where the Lord will speak something to me that just rocks me to my foundations. Just like, whoa, like, whoa. I never, ever would have thought of that before. And, and then sometimes it's just like Jesus going, I really like you. Like, that's it. I'm just going, well, that's nice, Jesus. I want a, a foundation-rocking thing. And Jesus is like, if you really believed that I that I liked you, that would be a foundation-rocking thing. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, ow, you're so mean to me! <laughs> right? Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah, like. But that's really cool because that kind of speaks to me and stuff, especially this, like, I mean, the whole listening thing cause, um, it talks about, like, don't fight the thoughts and stuff. Yeah. Like, this literally happened today in prayer. Like, I mm. had this random thought. I'm like, what? No, this is weird, you know? Yes. And, but, like, it kept going. And I was like, okay. And then the Lord spoke to me. And I was like, ah, what is this? Ah! You know? Like, it, it was so beautiful. Like, I won't read it. But, you know, essentially what it was is God showed me, you know, I was like, later in the future being married to somebody, you know, and then they cheat on me, right? Ooh. Yeah, and I was like, oh, you know, and I'm angry, like, I'm still confused, I don't know what to do and stuff, and I'm like, I'm punching walls, breaking my hands and everything, but then, like, I just say, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, complete, the narrative changes, and I say, you're forgiven, you know, and I'm, uh, and that's it, and then so, like, time passes on, and she becomes frustrated with me, because I start to, like, you know, I treat her just as if she'd never did it. You know, just as if, like, she never cheated on me, and she gets frustrated, she begins to contemplate, like, man, I, I kind of want a divorce, it's ridiculous, she thinks I'm doing it because, like, you know, it's going to make her feel guiltier, which it is, you know, but the truth is, is, like, when she finally asks it, and I'm going to have to pull this up, and God, this, because I want to get it right, and, and this one hit me pretty hard, it was like, if I can find it here, <laughs> one second, you know, ah, here we are. It was, all, all was said was, you know, um, uh, when, he, when I finally responded or when the person in the vision finally responded, says, you never earned this love of mine to begin with, so it was never yours to lose. Mm -hmm. I just, oh, uh, you know, and the God started speaking to me. I was like, what is this? That's good. Yeah. So. That's good stuff. Amen. And that's the power of listening to prayer when we, when we will sit and ask God to speak to us. Now, I don't want you to think that, I mean, probably the majority of the time what the Lord says to me in those moments is very small, it's very quiet, it's important, but it's not an earth-shattering thing. Most of the time, it's just something I needed to be reminded of. All right, But don't leave that place until you have permission to do so. This can either be the shortest part of your prayer time or the longest, and it just depends on what Jesus wants to do. Does that make sense? Okay. Then we pray, uh, we go to the prayer. 
of the crucified Christ. Now the way that this the way that this prayer time is built is it is to lead you into the Holy of Holies, which is contemplation and listening. And then to lead you back out into the world in a cruciform manner, okay? To lead you out into the world being the bearer of the image of Jesus in the world, being the bearer of the love of Jesus for the world and the cross of Jesus in the world, that you would walk the world as the pardon of God. That's, that's, the, that's the idea here, that you would carry grace out from this moment of being with Jesus into the world. And so these prayers afterwards are all kind of outward focused. They're no longer inward focused. <laughs> Okay, so the prayer of the crucified Christ is really great. You can read that later. Then we get to the then we read the Beatitudes. Beatitudes are so good. This the Beatitudes are the best crucifier of ego in the history of the world. They just are. They're wonderful. And by the way, that's going to be your first assignment is Matthew chapter five. Um, but we'll get there in a minute. All right. So prayer for peace. We have no time at all. All right. We got to hurry. The prayer for peace, and then the prayer of St. Francis. We can't, we can't just pass it up. We have to read it. We have to read it. So let's read it together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. That prayer, that prayer, I'll tell you what. That prayer. That prayer. Yeah. Every day. Every day. I've been praying this prayer for like a year and a half. And every day I get to that prayer and just like... <laughs> this is why we need to pray other people's prayers. Because I wouldn't pray a prayer like that off the top of my head. Are you with me? Right? I wouldn't pray a prayer like... This kind of a prayer doesn't come from selfish, greedy old me. This kind of prayer wars against selfish, greedy old me. And that's why I need it in my life. Okay? This is why. All right. And then the prayer for grace. The prayer of thanksgiving. Prayer for mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie. Um, the confession of the mystery. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I usually cross myself at the end there as well. That's the liturgy. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't start with me. All right. So are you with me? Does that make sense? Okay, now we have a half hour left, and we don't have, that's really not enough time. So we're going to keep going. Uh, but everybody stand up and stretch and kind of, you know. Oh, I was supposed to ask you about your puppets that you used to do. My puppets that I used yeah, to do? Yeah, Teresa, I was supposed to ask you about puppets. Puppets. 
I mean, we did. My favorite one was when Alex and I did this whole thing on stage with Rocky the Rock. That was my favorite one. Yeah, that's what she told me to ask. Yeah, that was really fun. I didn't do the puppet. I was talking to Alex, who was doing the puppet. And it was Palm Sunday. And Rocky was a rock. And he was, he was disappointed because Jesus had promised him that if the other people hadn't praised, that he would get to cry out. Remember what Jesus says? Even these very stones will cry out, you know? And he was like, so I really kind of hoped they wouldn't cry out, but they did. And I was like, well, I'll tell you what, Rocky, I'll let you, you, you can cry out with us today. He was like, oh, yay! You know, it's like this. But we had a lot of fun with rock puns, rock, rock associated puns. And I was like, uh, you know, talking to him, and he's, I was like, well, tell us about yourself, Rocky. And he was like, well, my, my favorite kind of music is rock music. And, and, uh, and he's, you know, like all these stupid puns. They were really dumb. And then they, they were really, I can't think of any of it. But then I was like, but then he's like, and my girlfriend's in the audience. I said, let me guess, her name is Raquel. And he goes, no, her name is Adrian. Because his name's Rocky. Forget it. Anyway. I learned a lot about you guys. Okay. So. This is what it's going to look like every week. Well, not every week, but all the weeks we do study from now on. Okay, The week before, I'm going to give you a chapter of Scripture that you are going to go and study. Okay, Now, there's specific things I want you to do and study. You ready? You need to write these down. Put these down somewhere. And I should have created a handout for this, but I didn't. All right? So... I'm going to give you a chapter to study, and we're going to go over some of my favorite portions of Scripture. We're going to do all Gospels until Christmas, and then after Christmas we're going to do the Apostle Paul. Okay, so I'm going to give you a chapter, one chapter to study for a week. All right, and these are the things I want to see you do. All right? You ready? Okay. I... I want you to answer some questions for me. Number one, who wrote this? Number two, who did they write it to? Others are still writing. Number three, why did they write it? I want you to read at least two commentaries on the chapter I give you. What was the third question? Why did they write it? Okay. I want you to read at least two commentaries on the chapter that we give you. I want you to look up at least one word in the original language. Okay. 
was it again? Sorry. No, it's all right. At least one word in the original language. No, the original language it was written. The okay. the word that when the writer wrote it, what language were they writing in? So okay. if it's in the New Testament, the whole New Testament is Greek. Yeah. And we're only doing New Testament. Okay. So it's gonna be Greek that you're gonna be looking at. Possibly. Once you've looked it up, I want you to tell me if that in any way changes the meaning of the text for you. Like, when you read it, knowing that definition, does it change the way that you read that verse? Finally, I want you to do an outline. I know this feels like homework, and it kind of is. Well, that's exactly what it is. I want you to really know how to study the Bible when we're done with this year. And I want to bring, and an, because... If I can teach you how to study the Bible, you're going to be okay. It's reality. If I can teach you how to study the Bible, you're going to be okay. Now, doing all of this might take you an hour, maybe. Okay, so we're talking about one hour during the week. Okay, and the first week, I'm asking you to study Matthew chapter 5. Each week, I'm going to give you a new chapter but Matthew chapter 5 I can already tell you the first two weeks are Matthew 5 6 and 7 I mean but don't jump ahead and then when we come together we're gonna talk over uh, what you found and and I will also teach the chapter yeah no no so, no whatever you want to read it doesn't matter to me when you say Mika outline, like, what does that look like? Do you, like, specify that? Really? Because this outline is for you. I'm not asking you to turn it in. Okay? So um, what whatever stands out to you. Okay? So I want you to look at, like, uh, okay, for instance, in Matthew chapter 5. Let's, let's go there. Just go to the scripture itself. And we can look at that. By the way... BibleHub.com is possibly the easiest place to look up words in the original language. That is, I'm assuming you don't have like Logos or one of these other uh, awesome Bible study software things. Okay. On BibleHub.com, they have in their versions three versions that have the Strong's numbers built into them. So all you have to do is just hover over the word, and it will show you the definition. <coughs> you can click on the word, and it will take you to that page in Strong's, but it's also several other uh, several other things are there. Okay, so I use it all the time, this website. I adore it. Okay. 
what I want you to do is read the chapter okay, and break it down into its pieces. So, for instance, Matthew 5 is pretty easy about that because the first part is the Beatitudes, which is a piece all of it, all its own. So that's number one, the Beatitudes. And then kind of just listen to the, what did Jesus say here? What are the things that struck you? What are the things that you that you heard? What surprised you? You know, just write down some comments about that section. Okay? The next section, um, Jesus talks about the behavior of the disciples in the world. Okay? You're the salt to the earth, but if, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does a light nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that you, they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. <coughs> Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. See, I would make that two sections. Because Jesus gives these two things here, which are metaphors of what it looks like for kingdom people to be in the world. What What... Do people infected with kingdom purpose and power, what, what effect do they have on the world? And Jesus gives these two metaphors. And then he moves and he's, he kind of changes gears and says, Don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That was Matthew chapter 5, right? Yeah. Okay, um, what verse was that where he talks about fulfilling the laws? Uh, 17 and 18. Sorry, I've been trying to find those verses for a long time. So I want you to ask questions of the text. What does this mean? I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Because I don't know about you, but I don't feel like the most righteous person in the world. And he's saying that I can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless my righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I, I might be in really big trouble right now. Does that make sense? Okay. You, I, you need to ask that question. What the heck does that mean? Am I in trouble? The answer is yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, because no, your righteousness does not surpass that of the of the scribes and the Pharisees, but no, because Jesus has given you his righteousness and his does surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. But is that obvious in the text? The answer is no. So you're going to have to do some digging. Ask yourself the questions. And then we get into Jesus talking about personal relationships, which is the rest of the chapter. Okay, This is where he starts talking about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And talks about, you know, don't don't make promises and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Truth is, I could teach on Matthew chapter 5 for about six weeks. We're only going to give it one. So I need you to dig deep. Yeah, I did. I did, we did a whole class on each of the, of the Beatitudes last year. That was two hours for blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
In your defense, we did have a week where we kind of took a break. Yeah, we did. So, we often did. Yeah. But I'm just saying. I remember Romans. <laughs> Sometimes we didn't get past, like, the first. Right. Yeah. Well, we're changing things up a little bit <laughs> this year. And we're going to go deep, but we're but we're not going to go that slow. Not this year. Now, I will be honest with you. There may be times when, as I'm studying to prepare for this class, the Holy Spirit says, I just want you to spend your entire time on one verse. And that may be what I do. Just be ready for that. You're going, I studied the entire chapter, and you're just going to talk about one verse? My answer is, wasn't it good for you? That's a really big one. Mm-hmm. Shortest verse in the Bible, but it's awfully important. Why did Jesus weep? Do you know where that verse is located? Um, not directly, but I know what it's about. Yeah. Sure. What, what was it about? Um, he weeps because Nazareth was dead. And um, um, I can't remember her name. Who was weeping with him. Mary. Mary, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus wept. And did Jesus weep because Lazarus was dead? Yes, there's two reasons why Jesus wept there that are fairly obvious in the text. One, he was moved to weep because people he loved were were in pain. And that's a real thing. But two, he was weeping because of their unbelief. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so the shortest verse in the Bible has a lot to think about. That's my Bible verse this week. <laughs> Jesus wept. And if you had looked the word wept up in the original language, you would find that it's a specific kind of weeping. It's not just any kind of weeping. It's it's like a loud sob. It's like... <gasps> like that, it, it's, it's, there's, a real, there's, there's a real description built into this little word, wept. That, that it's, it's an exclamation of sorrow. So it's it's more than just didn't it, it wasn't just like zoom in on Jesus' face single tear no that that wasn't what happened there this was Jesus being violently emotional in front of the people that he was which is why they all said oh look how much he loved him which is very ironic because Jesus wasn't weeping at the loss of Lazarus because he knew what he was about to do. He was going to walk over there and get Lazarus up out of that grave. So Jesus wasn't missing Lazarus at all. This was Jesus responding to the to the emotions of his people, specifically Mary, who was very close to his heart. And that they didn't understand when he had told them, he had prophesied to them, this sickness is not unto death. He had told them that. And they didn't believe him, even though Lazarus was dead. Martha was giving Jesus a theological treatise on why it was okay that Lazarus was dead. And Jesus is like... (laughs) (laughs) He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It was very... It was a wiping thing. (laughs) You're looking for truth, you found him. He's right here. Hello. That kind of a moment. (laughs) So, all right. We have a few minutes. Where's everybody at right now? How you doing? 
study Jesus with specifically or yeah, I mean just it you know some of, some of you need to process verbally some of the things that we've said over the last couple of hours so I'm giving you 12 minutes to do so okay. according to what my Bible told me the reason why he wept is because his heart melted with compassion yes that's reason number one but the context of the verse because Jesus talks later about their unbelief and about how with God all things are possible and whatever. So the context of the verse, Jesus was thinking very much about the fact that they did not believe that he could still save Lazarus. So it was twofold. I remember someone said one time that he was weeping at the condition of their heart because of the, he said because of their unfaithfulness. He was weeping at their condition. Yeah. Normally, you would <clears throat> the interpretation of Jesus weeping in that is often a really good uh, revealer of the person that's interpreting it, because people that are like, "Well, they should have just believed in Jesus. They should have known that Jesus is going to be okay." An, 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 a, a more legalistic less compassionate person is going to say that that's what Jesus was doing. Mm-hmm. And a more compassionate person that just thinks of Jesus as this Diet Coke drinking, you know, product in his hair kind of a guy um, uh, is going to say, Jesus was just feeling for them and that's so sweet of him. And I'm so glad. When, when really it was both. going on. But... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus was a sandal wearing product in his hair, Diet Coke drinking. Hippie dude. Well, okay, but that was true for the his entire culture. Which is one of the reasons that I believe that all angels have beards. No, hold on a minute. Oh no. Oh no. Here we go. Oh no. No way. Why? <laughs> because when people encountered angels in the time. When people in just wait a minute. When people encountered angels during that time, what did they always say? And there was a man standing before me dressed in shining clothes, right? Like it's that kind of thing. They always describe them as a man. Yeah. Okay, men. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you say in the but, next sentence that men grow beards. Wait. Wait. Men. Wait. Men in that culture yeah. always had beards. Not always. Yes, they did. They did. In fact, not having a beard was a great shame to them. In fact, you can know this because there's several places where people are are forced to shave like part of their beard or their beard, and they're very ashamed of that. For, it was actually against Jewish law for a man to shave his beard. So if the angel had not had a beard, they would have said, a man with no beard in shining clothes. <laughs> they would have described him as a beardless man because okay. every man in their world had a beard. All right, but, but, but wait a minute. Because wait a minute. how many angels specific, like, because there were like only a few angels that really revealed themselves yeah, specifically. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you said you believe all angels have beards. I'm just... 
kidding. I'm just joking. Hey, I'm just you know what? I am only kidding. You need to understand that I'm just joking. But there was I was in a I was in a Christmas I was in a like a Christmas play and I was being Gabriel and somebody was like, well, You should shave your beard. I said, uh, no. <laughs> and, they were, and they were like, they were like, but angels don't have beards. I said, now wait just a minute. <laughs> no, wait. We would know. If Gabriel did not have a beard, we would have been told he did not have a beard. Because they would have said, oh, it's a man in bright shade. And he doesn't have a beard. That's kind of strange. <laughs> Maybe that's what stood out to them. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, wow. That's, that's what's strange If it stood him. out to them, they would have said he didn't have a beard. No, honestly, just weird. like... Angels, there are, there are, the, Gabriel does not have wings. Okay? Because he, we did not hear that he had wings. We've never, never told. The only angels that we know of that are, that are regularly talked about with wings are the seraphim, who are the ones that fly around the throne of God. And they have six wings. Two, they cover their faces. Two, they cover their feet. And two, they fly. And they're constantly flying around the throne of God saying, Holy, 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 right? Okay, those are the only angels that we know of that have wings. All the other angels seem to just look like people. And here's the reality of it. It's probably none of it true. Because angels are spiritual beings. And therefore they probably don't have physical bodies at all. And they just appear to a human in the way a human expects to see them. And so that's... the And so... When they when they look when when somebody is expecting them to have a beard they do and when they don't they don't. But technically, couldn't that be true though? Considering like in olden days, like when Nephilims were on the land, yes, yeah. Okay, but as far as we know, we we really think. Now it depends. It depends. Because if you're going, all right, it depends. Depends on what you think of. It depends on what you think of the Book of Enoch, which is a whole nother question. But in in the Book of Enoch, there's it was a specific uh, a specific type of angelic being that that came down and impregnated women. It wasn't an archangel like Gabriel or Michael or whatever. It wasn't a seraphim like the ones that flew around. It was. They were watcher angels. They were specific, a specific kind, a species of, of angelic being. Okay, and that that came and took human women as their wives and impregnated them and, and made you know and created these beings. So we don't know. What that they had beards? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I bring one on buddy trails. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. And I don't even know what to do with Genesis 6, to be Here, honest with I, you. I, I have another question, too. Okay. Yeah. So, I've, been, I, I've heard Five minutes. teachers, you know who Jimmy Swaggart is? I do. Okay. So, I've heard, this is serious, I've heard him teach and taught that he doesn't believe that there are any female angels in heaven. Right. I, what, what is your take on that? My take is angels are neither male nor female. Okay, because that's the way that's the way I look at it too. But in the Bible, it says there is a man. Right, but it's speaking it's speaking from it's speaking from the point of view of the one who sees this being, and it looked like a man to them, which is why I would say he has beards. But I but I don't think 
that angels have a direct corollary, male and female kind of a thing. And Jesus makes it very clear that they don't marry nor are they given in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he says that himself, that angels do not get married nor are they. So we consider them to be asexual beings. In other words, they, they do not, they, there's not a sexual component mm-hmm. to their existence. Yeah, see, I've heard that, and then I've heard, because another thing that they'll say is whenever they did come down and there was a Nephilim, Obviously, they had to procreate somehow. Yes, I mean? so but that to... was a specific thing that happened. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. They're, uh, that was a work of demonic power that was specifically manifested. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously these, and again, that subset of angelic beings seems to be a different group than things we would regularly call angels. But I'm getting that information from the Book of Enoch, which is uh, fascinating at best. Yeah. Um, uh, it's I don't I don't know that I can call it uh, inspired, let alone so inerrant or base, uh, authoritative. <laughs> no, but the the truth is, there's a whole lot of things that you that you believe that did not that came from the Book of Enoch yeah. and not from the Bible. Like most of the things that we think about Satan himself are Book of Enoch things. They're not Bible things. Mm-hmm. Like, the Book of Enoch talks about Satan as being a fallen angel. The Bible does not mention him as a fallen angel at all. It doesn't even call him that. Um, the uh, The Book of Enoch talks about uh, uh, a whole lot of other stuff that that, we're, that we kind of picture and that is, has been taught to a lot of people, you know, in the world about uh, about demons and, angel, and angels and whatever. But, uh, but... But the Bible has very, very little to say about any of that. The Bible doesn't teach really about angels or demons. So then where does Satan necessarily come forth? What? So, so where necessarily does Satan come forth? No clue. The Bible, the Bible doesn't say. And the verses that we would go to, I'll get to you just saying, the verses we would go to to give us those answers are not necessarily about Satan at all. There's only one. There's one interpretation of those verses. But because there's a place in Ezekiel and a place in Isaiah, and we say that these verses are about Satan, and they seem they sound like they're about Satan, but they're actually prophecies to human beings, to the king of this place, to the king of that place, and 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 people say God was speaking not to the king but to the power behind the king, this demonic authority behind the king, who is Satan, um, and that's why that's what makes these lines make sense. Things like you were on, you were in the garden of God before the whatever. Well, this king was not there, right? So, what on earth is God talking about? Well, it may have some other complete other meaning that we don't understand. That's just not we 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 assume that he's talking about Satan, and in that case, then our interpretation is that Satan looks this specific way, like like Satan being a musical creature comes out of one of those verses. But we don't. We, but there's no real proof that that's who was being spoken of in that verse. Yeah. The Book of Enoch is an ancient book um, that uh, is purported to have been written by the seventh son of Adam, who was Enoch, who was raptured prior to the flood. Okay, and uh, and there is you can go find it on the internet. You can go buy it in bookstores. The Book of Enoch. It was never a part of the traditional Jewish Bible, but a lot of the writers of the Bible read it, including the disciples of Jesus and 
possibly Jesus himself, and the Apostle Paul and Peter. They And many of them quote it. In fact, the book of Enoch is quoted several times in, in the New Testament um, directly. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it was that it should be part of the Bible. And both the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints have said this book does not belong in the Bible. So we read it. It's fascinating. It's an absolutely fascinating book. It is about this issue that happens in Genesis chapter 6 where these angels purportedly came down, evil angels. They weren't, I mean, we shouldn't really use the word angel because it's, the word angel just means, the word means messenger. That's all that word means. And that is a really weird word to use to describe this whole, like, multiple species of, of, of invisible uh, supernatural being. The Bible calls them multiple different things. The Bible calls them Elohim, which is a name that we use for God. So you could actually call them God small g if you wanted to. It's not, obviously not God Jehovah, but they are divine. They are they are supernatural beings. And there was a group of supernatural beings that uh, found human women to be attractive and took them as their wives and had children by them. And these children were monstrous. So they were giants. They were men of renown. They were... Okay, <clears throat> they well that's and and we see that before the flood, and it seems to be part of the reason for the flood. And then we see it only one other time in Scripture, which is around the time of the conquest of Is of Israel by Joshua. Um, they they run into these people and say those are Nephilim, those are giants, those are those are offspring of this unholy union that happened between. Uh, supernatural being in humans and uh and goliath is a descendant goliath that was killed by david was a descendant of that's why he was a giant so uh, so yeah it's it's a fascinating fascinating thing and there are hints and guesses that the enemy may do this again at the end of the age and try again to repopulate the world with this kind of like mixed species humans uh angelic being species later on because the original angels that did it were put in prison until the end of the age uh, and they will be released during the time that's described in the book of revelation so they may do that whole thing again they may be doing it now yeah Dang. someday we'll talk about that yeah <laughs> okay, so, i think whatever we were talking about prayer earlier um, and we may not have time for this. Question. No, we're good. Go. Um, we were talking about prayer earlier. You said that um, prayer is not about changing God, but about yeah. you know the prayer, God conforming you to and aligning you to His purpose, His plan, His will. Yes. Um, how does that relate to you know, for instance, um, Abraham interceding for Lot? Thank you. Thank you. Is that something that came up? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm glad you asked because. That's a really big question. And uh, the question is, can we change God's mind? It's a big question. <laughs> Moses straight tells him to repent. Yeah, he does. I'm pretty sure it says God In fact, the Bible says, <laughs> and God repented. And God repented. <laughs> can we change God's mind? I think, yeah. Does that say that? And God repented? Yeah. 
Actually, it's in Genesis 6, what we were just talking about. It says God repented that he'd ever made man on the earth. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he didn't. Moses. So he felt felt regret. (laughs) Isn't there coming from context that that there was a person who changed God's mind, like with the Nazis? I forget where it's at in scripture, but like when it was talking about like, if only so many men like say they'll come with me, like, you know. That's the verse he's talking about. Yes, that's the verse he's talking about. And not only that, okay, but you think about Moses as well, yeah. because Moses is standing on the on the the, mount. the mountain, right, and he's talking with God, and God says, "I'm going to go down there and kill them all and start yeah. over with you." And Moses is like, "Don't do that." <laughs> he said, "God, repent! Don't do that. You know, because you made these promises to our our ancestors, and and not only that, but then you'll be known all over the world as the God who killed his people, right? Like, so (laughs) please don't do that, God. That's a bad idea. Really bad idea. So here's the question. Was that what was that what was going on in the mind of God? Was God like, I'm gonna kill him, Tony, hold me back! I'm gonna kill him. Was was that what was going on? Or was this an was this a a, a Jehovah Sneaky Okay. Was this was this a Jehovah sneaky invitation to Moses? Hey, pray for my people. I want to show them mercy, and I want you to partner with me in it. Okay. So, can we change God's mind? I mean, that's I don't feel like I'm qualified to say yes or no. Yes. That's exactly what I'm trying because, to say. Yeah, no because like you say the prayer, and it, it's true. Like when you pray, uh, like a, you get when you pray correctly, yeah. you get into the alignment of his yeah. desires. Yes. And so maybe it's just the fact of in people's hearts we have those desires that just get rid of them. But when you hear your own God say that, you're like, wait, no, I want the desire of God's heart. Right. Oh, I don't know. My brain no, okay. that's exactly where I'm going. It, precisely. That God, what God was doing was reflecting Moses' own heart back to him so that Moses, so that he could see, hey, that's not okay. Like, yeah. I'm not, whoa, no, no. You know, like, like no, no, God, don't, don't do that. And then God was like, he was like, well, okay, so Moses, you right. know. <laughs> I got a point there. So it's, no, and that's what I'm saying. I don't believe that Moses changed God's mind. I believe God was putting Moses in a position to see who God really was, to realize in that moment, wait a minute, that's not like you, God. That that would mean more. Okay, we're going to talk about Harry Potter a lot in this class, so just get used to it, folks, because I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. But if you watch Dumbledore, I think Albus Dumbledore is the greatest liter- uh, uh, picture in literature of the heart of the father that I've ever seen. I really do. And every time, Dumbledore will never just give you an answer. He always makes you think through and come to the answer yourself. Always, every time. And I think God the Father does it all the time. I think God the Father constantly is doing that. I think God the Father is going, you already know the answer to this question. Oh, my God. 
So, so let's talk about. <laughs> it. And it really just made me rethink the whole mirror scene. Right, exactly. Oh my gosh! Right, and then you rethink it at the end because you when when he says, "Oh, what I really, oh, I just see, I just see myself with a pair of warm socks," like, you know that that the Dumbledore saying that, yeah. but but the truth is he probably sees his family standing around him, like his sister, and you know. But regardless, anyway, so so this this issue of of inviting us into it rather than just handing it to you. It gives greater worth to you of the knowledge you've obtained every time. If you just give somebody a straight answer, they're going to forget it five minutes later. But if you lead them to come to the answer themselves, they'll never, ever forget it. And they'll do that kind of thinking again next time. And I believe God's always doing that. I think that's good. what I believe that's what God was doing with Abraham. Yeah. And I believe that's what God was doing with Moses as well. And I think that God still does that with us to this day. I think God still kind of says, well, so what are you going to believe about me? Do, is that me? Like, for instance, okay, and this is the last thing I say because I have a meeting. Um, the day that we, that SEAL Team 6 killed Osama bin Laden, the whole country was in just unabashed celebration of this man's death. And he was an evil person, right? I mean, he had done horrible things, and not just the United States, but all over the world. If anybody deserved to die, it was this dude. But the Holy Spirit just asked me a simple question. Do you think I'm celebrating? Oh. Right? And I had tears that started coming out of my eyes un, un, unasked for. <laughs> un, unbidden. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. No, I don't. And he was like, so should you be then? My grandma did almost the exact same thing. She was sitting in the room. And she goes, uh, and she, and she, my dad was like, about time. And uh, my grandma, my grandma goes, we lost one. Yeah. Yeah. And saying that, uh, saying, saying pretty much, she went on and she said that, uh, she said that we missed one. No matter what he did, God still loved him. Jesus loves that man. Yeah. yeah. That's really weird.